0: Chapter 2 of Tales of the Five Towns. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Clifton. Tales of the Five Towns by Arnold Bennett. Chapter 2 The Elixir of Youth. It was Monday afternoon of Bursley Wakes. Not our modern rectified festival, but the wild and naive orgy of seventy years ago. The days of bear baiting and of bull baiting, from which latter phrase, they say, the town derives its name. In those times there was a town bull, a sort of civic beast, and a certain notorious character kept a bear in his pantry. The beating, baiting, occurred usually on Sunday mornings at six o'clock with formidable hungry dogs and little boys used to look forward eagerly to the day when they would be old enough to be permitted to attend. On Sunday afternoons colliers and potters, gathered round the jawbone of a whale which then stood as a natural curiosity on the waste space near the corn-mill, would discuss the fray and make bets for next Sunday, while the exhausted dogs licked their wounds or died. During the wakes week bull and bear were baited at frequent intervals, according to popular demand, for thousands of sportsmen from neighbouring villages seized the opportunity of the fair to witness the fine beatings for which Bursley was famous throughout the country of the five towns. In that week the wakes took possession of the town, which yielded itself with savage abandonment to all the frenzies of license public-houses remained continuously open night and day, and the barmen and barmaids never went to bed. Every inn engaged special talent in order to attract custom, and for a hundred hours the whole thronged town drank, drank, until the supply of coin of George IV, converging gradually into the coffers of a few persons, ceased to circulate. Towards the end of the wakes, by way of a last ecstasy, the cockfighters would carry their birds, which had already fought and been called off perhaps half a dozen times, to the town field, where the discreet forty per cent brewery now stands, and there match them to a finish. It was a spacious age. On this Monday afternoon in June, the less fervid activities of the wakes were proceeding as usual in the marketplace, overshadowed by the town hall. Not the present stone structure with its gold angel, but a brick edifice built on an ashlar basement. Hobby horses and revolving swing-boats propelled, with admirable economy to the proprietors, by privileged boys who took their pay in an occasional ride, competed successfully with the skeleton man, the fat or bearded woman, and Aunt Sally. The long toy-tent, artfully roofed with a tinted cloth, which permitted only a soft, mellow light to illuminate the wares displayed, were crowded with jostling youth and full of the sound of whistles, squawkers and various pipes. And multitudes surrounded the gingerbread, nut and savoury stalls, which lined both sides of the roadway as far as Duck Bank. In front of the numerous boxing booths, experts of the fancy, obviously out of condition, offered to fight all comers, and were not seldom well thrashed by impetuous champions of local fame. There were no photographic studios, and no coconut chives, for these things had not been thought of, and to us moderns the fair, despite its uncontrolled exuberance of revelry, would have seemed strangely quiet, since neither steam-organ, nor hooter, nor hurdy-gurdy was there to overwhelm the ear with crashing waves of gigantic sound. But if the special phenomena of a later day were missing from the carnival, others, as astonishing to us as the steam-organ would have been to those uncouth roisterers, were certainly present. Chief, perhaps, among these was the man who retailed the elixir of youth, the veritable eau de chauvence, to credulous drinkers at sixpence a bottle. This magician, whose dark, mysterious face and glittering eyes indicated a strain of Romany blood, and whose accent proved that he had at any rate lived much in yorkshire had a small booth opposite the watch-house under the town hall on a banner suspended in front of it was painted the legend the inca of peruse elixir of youth sold here eternal youth for all drink this and you will never grow old as supplied to the nobility and gentry sixpence per bot walk in walk in and consult the Inca of Peru." The Inca of Peru, dressed in black velveteens, with a brilliant scarf round his neck, stood at the door of his tent, holding an empty glass in one jewelled hand, and with the other twirling a long and silken moustache. Handsome, graceful, and thoroughly inured to the public gaze, he fronted a small circle of gapers, like an actor adroit to make the best of himself. And his tongue wagged fast enough to wag a man's leg off. At a casual glance he might have been taken for thirty, but his age was fifty and more, if you could catch him in the morning before he had put the paint on. "'Ladies and gentlemen of Bursley, this enlightened and beautiful town which I am now visiting for the first time,' he began in a hard, metallic voice, employing again with the glib accuracy of a machine the exact phrases which he had been using all day. "'Look at me! Look well at me!' How old do you think I am? How old do I seem? Twenty, my dear, do you say? And he turned with practised insolence to a pot-girl in a red shawl, who could not have uttered an audible word to save her soul, but who blushed and giggled with pleasure at this mark of attention. Ah! Oh, you flatter, fair maiden, I look more than twenty, but I think I may say that I do not look thirty. Does any lady or gentleman think I look thirty? No? As a matter of fact, I was twenty-nine years of age when, in South America, while exploring the ruins of the most ancient civilization of the world of the world, ladies and gentlemen, I made my wonderful discovery- the elixir of youth. What art blithering at Lixie? A drunken man called from the back of the crowd, and the nickname stuck to the great discoverer during the rest of the wakes. That, ladies and gentlemen, the Inca of Peru continued unperturbed, was seventy-two years ago. I am now a hundred and one years old precisely, and as fresh as a kitten, all along of my marvellous elixir—far older, for instance, than this good dame here. He pointed to an aged and wrinkled woman in blue cotton and a white much, who was placidly smoking a short cutty. This creature bowed and satiate with monotonous years, took the pipe from her indrawn lips, and asked in a weary, trembling falsetto, "'How many wives hast had?' Seventeen, the Inca retorted quickly, dropping at once into broad dialect. "'And now lone and looking to wed again, wilt have me?' "'Nay,' replied the Crone, "'I've buried four my son, and no man o' mine shall bury me.' There was a burst of laughter, amid which the Inca, taking the crowd archly into his confidence, remarked, "'I have never administered my elixir to any of my wives, ladies and gentlemen. You may blame me, but I freely confess the fact,' and he winked. "'Lixie! Lixy, the drunken man idiotically chanted. "'And now,' the Inca proceeded, coming at length to the practical part of his ovation, "'see here.' With the rapidity of a conjurer he whipped from his pocket a small bottle and held it up before the increasing audience. It contained a reddish fluid which shone bright and rich in the sunlight. "'See here!' he cried magnificently. But he was destined to interruption. A sudden cry arose of, blackjack! Jack! Black Jack! him! He's caught!' And the Incas crowd, together with all the other crowds filling the market-place, surged off eastward in a dense, struggling mass. The sign of every eye was a springless clay cart, which was being slowly driven past the newly erected big house of Enoch Wood, Esquire, towards the town hall. In this cart were two constables, with their painted staves drawn, and between the constables sat a man securely chained, Black Jack of Morthorne, the mining village which lies over the ridge a mile or so east of Bursley. The captive was a ferocious and splendid young Hercules, tall with enormous limbs and hands and heavy black brows. He was dressed in his soiled working attire of a collier, the trousers strapped under the knees, and his feet shod in vast clogs. With open throat, small head, great jaws and bold beady eyes, he looked what he was, the superb brute. The brute, reckless of all save the instant satisfaction of his desires. He came of a family of colliers, the most debased class in a lawless district. Jack's father had been a colliery serf, legally enslaved to his colliery, legally liable to be sold with the colliery as a chattel, and legally bound to bring up all his sons as colliers, until the act of George Third put an end to this incredible survival from the customs of the Dark Ages. Black Jack was now a hero to the crowd, and knew it, for those vast clogs had kicked a woman to death on the previous day. She was a Mawthorn woman, not his wife, but his sweetheart, older than he. People said that she nagged him, and that he was tired of her. The murderer had hidden for a night, and then defiantly surrendered to the watch, and the watch were taking him to the watch-house in the Ashlar basement of the town hall. The feeble horse between the shafts of the cart moved with difficulty through the press, and often the coloured stays of the constables came down thwack on the heads of heedless youth. At length the cart reached the space between the watch-house and the tent of the Inca of Peru, where it stopped while the constables unlocked a massive door. The prisoner remained proudly in the cart accepting with obvious delight the tribute of cheers and jeers, hoots and shouts from five thousand mouths. The Inca of Peru stood at the door of his tent, and surveyed Black Jack, who was no more than a few feet away from him. "'Have a glass of my elixir,' he said to the death-dealer. No one in this town needs it more than thee, by all accounts. Have a glass, and live forever. only sixpence.' The man in the cart laughed aloud. "'I've not on me, not a farthing,' he answered in a strong, grating voice. At that moment a girl, half hidden by the cart, sprang forward, offering something in her outstretched palm to the Inca. But he, misunderstanding her intention, merely glanced with passing interest at her face, and returned his gaze to the prisoner. "'I'll give thee a glass, lad,' he said quickly, "'and then thou canst defy Jack Ketch.' the crowd yelled with excitement, and the murderer held forth his great hand for the potion. Using every art to enhance the effect of this dramatic advertisement, the Inca of Peru raised his bottle on high, and said in a loud, impressive tone, This precious liquid has the property, possessed by no other liquid on earth, of frothing twice. I shall pour it into the glass, and it will froth. Black Jack will drink it, and after he has drunk it, it will froth again. Observe. He uncorked the bottle, and filled the glass with the reddish fluid, which, after a few seconds, duly effervesced to the vague wonder of the populace. The Inca held the glass till the froth had subsided, and then solemnly gave it to Black Jack. Drink! commanded the Inca. Black Jack took the draught at a gulp and instantly flung the glass at the inca's face. It missed him, however. There were signs of a fracas, but the door of the watch-house swung opportunely open, and Jack was dragged from the cart and hustled within. The crowd, with a crowd's fickleness, turned to other affairs. That evening the ingenious inca of Peru did good trade for several hours, but towards eleven o'clock the attraction of the public-houses, and of a grand special combined bull and bear beating by moonlight in the large yard of the cock Inn drew away the circle of his customers until there was none left. He retired inside the tent, with several pounds in his pocket, and a God's consciousness of having made immortal many of the sons and daughters of Adam. As he was counting out his gains on the tub of eternal youth, by the flicker of a dip, someone lifted the flap of the booth and stealthily entered. He sprang up, fearing robbery with violence, which was sufficiently common during the wakes. But it was only the young girl who had stood behind the cart when he offered to blackjack his priceless boon. The Inca had noticed her with increasing interest several times during the evening, as she loitered restless near the door of the watch-house. "'What do you want?' he asked her, with the ingratiating affability of the rake who foresees everything. "'Give me a drink.' A drink of what, my dear? lixie He raised the dip, and by its light examined her face. It was a kind of face which carries no provocative signal for nine men out of ten, but which will haunt the tenth. A child's face, with a passionate woman's eyes burning and dying in it. Black hair, black eyes, thin, pale cheeks, equine nostrils, red lips, small ears, and the smallest chin conceivable. He smiled at her, pleased. "'Can you pay for it?' he said, pleasantly. The girl evidently belonged to the poorest class. Her shaggy, uncovered head, lean frame, torn gown, and bare feet, all spoke of hardship and neglect. "'I've a silver groat,' she answered, and closed her small fist tighter. "'A silver groat!' he exclaimed, rather astonished. "'Where did you get that from?' "'He give it me for a fairing yesterday.' Who? Him, yonder. She jerked her head back to indicate the watch-house. Black Jack. What for? He kissed me, she said boldly. I'm his sweetheart. Eh? the Inca paused a moment, startled. But he killed his sweetheart yesterday. What? Meg? the girl exclaimed with deep scorn. Her weren't his true sweetheart. Her drove him to it. Serve her well right, old Meg. How old are you, my dear? Don't know, but feyther said last wakes I was fourteen. I mun keep young for Jack. He wanna have me if I'm old. But he'll be hanged, they say." She gave a short, satisfied laugh. Not now he's drunk Lixie. Hangman won't get him. I heard a man say Jack'd get off with twenty year for manslaughter, most like. And you'll wait twenty years for him? Yes, she said. I'll meet him at prison gates, but I mun be young. Give me a drink of Lixie. He drew the red draught in silence, and, after it had effervesced, offered it to her. "'Tis rate?' she questioned, taking the glass. The Inca nodded, and, lifting the vessel, she opened her eager lips and became immortal. It was the first time in her life that she had drunk out of a glass, and it would be the last. Struck dumb by the trusting joy in those profound eyes, the Inca took the empty glass from her trembling hand. Frail organism and prey of love. Passion had surprised her too young. Noon had come before the flower could open. She went out of the tent. "'Wench!' the Inca called after her. "'Thy groat!' She paid him and stood aimless for a second, and then started to cross the roadway. Simultaneously there was a rush and a roar from the cockyard close by the raging bull, dragging its ropes, and followed by a crowd of alarmed pursuers, dashed out. The girl was plain in the moonlight. Many others were abroad, but the bull seemed to see nothing but her, and, lowering his huge head, he charged with shut eyes, and flung her over the Inca's booth. "'Thou hast gotten no thy wish, thou young for ever,' the Inca of Peru, made a poet for an instant by this disaster, murmured to himself as he bent with the curious crowd over the corpse. Black Jack was hanged. Many years after all this, Bursley built itself a new town hall, with a spire and a gold angel on the top in the act of crowning the bailiwick with a gold crown, and began to think about getting up in the world. End of chapter 2